Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it's a funny thing. At the 9.30 service, I thought I was preaching a sermon. But what I realize now, what I realize in this moment, um, it's really a love letter with some notes attached is what it is. Uh, I had this feeling last Sunday was that when I was in this space with you guys after being gone for uh, two months on my sabbatical and coming back into this place. And I wanted, I felt it, I wanted to say it. Last week I didn't. I'm going to say it now because it's really true. And it's true when I sit up here and I look out and I see so many of you I know, so many of you I've yet to meet. And I think about um, this walk that we're on together. And I think about the loved ones that are with us in this space. Some of them used to play in the jazz band. They are no longer here. Some of them um, had, had a, a, a baby dedicated, a, a grandmother who's not here to see that. And I think about the reality, which is, which is true, and why this is not a sermon, it's a love letter, and that is simply to tell you that I love you. It's not uh, complicated. There aren't strings attached. It's just I love you. I love being a part of a faith community that wrestles with these eternal questions about meaning and purpose. What are we gonna do with our lives, this little blink of time as we walk this earth together? I love serving a faith community with people like Jen Crow and the staff and the lay leaders we have that are committed to living with racial justice at the center of what we do. I love you. And my heart has been living in two places, really, the last couple of weeks as I've been at the end of my sabbatical. So I bet part of my heart has been in the sabbatical world, doing renewal and reading and reflection. I started uh, a daily meditation practice that has been incredibly nourishing, has slowed me down, has helping me see more clearly. My heart was there on sabbatical, and my heart was here with all of you, with this congregation, particularly with Reverend Jen and the staff and the board, but all of you as we were processing and making sense of the budget for next year and what it means to look at potentially pulling back in some big, big ways. My heart was in two places. So to be back here this morning, my heart in one place with all of you, with that work I did on sabbatical feels incredible. My heart ached when I was on sabbatical and Jen called me, and my heart aches still as I think about what the future may hold for us. There is some fear. I do feel some fear. So this is a love note with some other little notes woven in because I have been sitting with, and perhaps you have too, what does this mean for our future as a faith community with huge dreams and aspirations? Were our, were our dreams just a little bit ahead of our resources? That might be. Are we in a place of right-sizing, of settling in, of solidifying some of the growth we've experienced in the past couple of years, it might be. Maybe we're entering a new season together. And what I want to do today and what we're trying to do in these weeks right now is to share the information and the story with you so that we can decide how the story unfolds. During my sabbatical, I read a number of books. One of them was a great book called Conquering Fear by Rabbi Harold Kushner. He's written a number of books, and it absolutely spoke to me. In the opening pages of this book, so this is really a love letter, this sermon right now, with these notes, and so it's reflections on fear and how we walk together by not 
ignoring fear or dismissing fear, but mastering fear on some level. And he, in this opening part of his book, speaks to this in some ways. He says in the first pages of the book, to love someone is to make yourself hostage to fortune. To love someone is to make yourself hostage to fortune, aware of all the terrible things that can happen to him or her. And when we, when we dedicate young children in this church, I know it is my deepest wish, I suspect it is our deepest wish that those lives be rich and full, that they be a blessing upon this earth, that those gifts those children have are shared with this world. And beyond the joy and the beauty of the moment, are not we also aware of the terrible, heartbreaking things that can happen to those we love, including children, including our partners? If you have lost a child or a loved one, and we all lose a loved one at some point, we know this. If we are one of those Nigerian families whose daughter has been abducted, we know this. We know how fragile life is. We know that this community right here on this Sunday, this Mother's Day, us in this space right now, some of us will not be here a year or five years or 10 years from now. And we know the air would ring out with the voices of those who are here in spirit with us this day. To love someone makes us hostage to fortune. And it can cause fear, worry, anxiety, concern. What I am aware of is that we live in a political climate in a time since September 11th where the active cultivation of fear and blaming and pointing fingers and being scared of brown-skinned people, especially if they look like Muslims, this has escalated in incredible ways. And one of the things that I love is that this is a faith community grounded at its core in the idea that love and hope is stronger than fear. Fear will be a part of our lives always. And our infectious fears, as author Mark Siegel says, those spread faster than any bacteria and they ignite these infectious fears, these worries we can have. They invite and ignite a sense of imminent danger that far outclipses the reality. Anthrax is not contagious, he says. Fear of anthrax is. So I know that fear can be contagious. I know that fear can shut us down and make us withdraw. And so I come back to you from this sabbatical with this news about the budget and thinking about those things with two, two simultaneous feelings, love and hope and great optimism and this little bit of fear of what does this mean and a trusting that with our hearts open and aglow, we will walk together through this. I also come here this morning with this a little bit of fear in my heart as I had talked with Jen Crow earlier in the week and had found out that there had been gunshots that were fired near the Habitat house, the house that love built that our team had been working on earlier this week. And for some of us, violence like this, gunshots in our neighborhood, including me, I lived in a neighborhood in St. Paul where this happened. 
Uh, it is something we are familiar with. It is something that we have experienced before. And honestly, it can happen anywhere, but it is frightening. It is scary. And I wondered, how would our Habitat volunteers respond to this? But the next day, they were all there, gathered, and the, the team was there, and the site supervisor from Habitat for Humanity explained how Habitat was clustering these homes in this neighborhood, like eight of them in this small neighborhood, the Jordan neighborhood, mimicking exactly what they'd done in the Hawthorne neighborhood, a neighborhood not too far away that we had worked on, a house several years ago. And the Hawthorne neighborhood had turned around in the same spirit. Habitat, in partnership with Northside organizations, was going to change the Jordan neighborhood. So I think whatever fear was there for that team, the Habitat team, so also was this commitment to see the project through. So also were hearts that were glowing and open. It reminds me I imagine perhaps this Habitat team wrestling in that moment, all of us wrestling in these moments of, of fear and then also opening our hearts to say, what's the bigger picture here? It reminds me of what Martin Buber, the great Jewish theologian and writer, said when he was commenting on the biblical verse, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He said, imagine holding an apple in your left hand and a knife in your right hand. Suddenly, the knife slips. You're cutting the apple. The knife slips, and it wounds the left hand, the hand holding the apple. Should the right hand feel relieved that it is the left hand that is bleeding? Should it look at the left hand as an alien limb to be pitied? Of course not, he says. Both hands are part of the same body. When one hand is hurt, the entire body feels pain. That, says Martin Buber, is the meaning of the biblical commandment, our neighbor is part of us. When any human being suffers, it should be a source of pain to all of us. We should feel pain, not pity. And I think something like that must have happened at this Habitat site. It is happening as we begin our racial justice journey it could have been a story where the Habitat team said on Tuesday or Wednesday, oh, those, these poor people, right, who live in this neighborhood with violence, like, that's just, that is terrible. I'll give some money, but I don't know about this neighborhood or this project. It could have been pity, those poor people, which is a terrible thing to, to say and imagine because when you think and let it in, love our neighbor as ourselves, you realize we are all connected. And that wasn't their response. Instead, their response was, was a, a kind of pain, I think, a recognition that our neighbors in the Jordan community or in New Brighton or Uptown, all of us, all of us are in pain and suffer when there is violence in our streets and homes. Our community is diminished. We are all diminished when the life-giving resources that every community needs including stable, affordable housing and viable public transportation, libraries and parks, a commitment to racial equity. When those things are not present, we are all diminished. And when we actually feel that pain and see that reality and see that we have a role to play in redistributing resources, we can act with love and compassion. As James Baldwin says, love takes off the masks that we fear we cannot live without and know we cannot live within. 
Love takes off the masks. We fear we cannot live without and know we cannot live within. And we know we cannot live in a society with such horrific disparities. And when Baldwin uses this word love, he's not talking about sentimental, happy love. He's talking about tough, that tough and universal quest for daring and growth, the love that calls us out of comfort, that burns away fear, that casts out fear, that fear that blocks the glow of our hearts, that keeps us from being as fully human as we can be. I want to be clear, as Rabbi Kushner was clear in his book, our goal should never be the denial of fear, but the mastery of fear, the refusal to let fear keep us from fully living. Our goal is not the denial of fear, but the mastery of fear. And here's what I know, church, and I know it because I've walked with you for five years and I believe it in every cell of my body. Learning to love, learning to love and refusing to let fear keep us from living fully. That is the heart of what we are doing here together learning to love and refusing to let fear keep us from living fully. I think of this poem when I say that to you, this poem I've shared before many times with this church called First Lesson by Philip Booth. And to really hear this poem and let its words wash over you, imagine a father, it could be a mother, with a daughter in a tide pool by the ocean. And the father or the mother is helping the young daughter learn how to lie back and float in the water. This is a poem called First Lesson. Lie back, daughter. Let your head be tipped back in the cup of my hand gently, and I will hold you. Spread your arms wide. Lie out on the stream and look high at the gulls. A dead man's float is face down. You will dive and swim soon enough where this tide water ebbs to the sea. Daughter, believe me, when you tire on the long thrash to your island, lie up and survive as you float now where I held you and let go. Remember when fear cramps your heart what I told you, lie gently and wide to the light year stars lie back and the sea will hold you. And that's what I want the children we dedicated this morning to know. When they are tired or afraid, they can rest in this ocean. They will be held here by us, by adults that know and love them, by a source that is greater than us. This is what I want all of us to know, that we can trust in a love that is bigger than our wildest imaginings. Trust that when we tire and fear grabs our heart, we can lie back and be held and let the steady glow of our heart reflect the glow of the light year stars. I felt fear. When I first heard, we were looking at a $100,000 shortfall for this 14-15 budget. It is difficult and painful to imagine some of the cuts we might have to make. But the story is not over yet. Each of us helps to decide how this story ends, and however it ends, I trust our collective movement together. 
As Mark Nepo says, they say the head can be fooled, but the heart can't turn without the body. So if, as a church body, we move into a season of the heart, and I include myself in this, of moving more deeply into a space of listening to one another and our hopes and dreams, if we do that and our hearts awake, then we will make our way together, whatever that way is, by the light shining from our hearts. I trust that. I trust that deeply. And I love you. I love you deeply. Amen.